All right, thank you, worship team. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18, not to be confused with 2 Kings 18. We'll be in 1 Kings 18 today. And uh, our numbers are a little lower today. That's because we have a bunch of our junior highs out on retreat this weekend. And so uh, about 30 kids and their leaders are up at Camp Crossroads right now with a bunch of other youth groups from around the province. And they are spending time with Jesus and spending time with one another. And so um, we haven't had tons of communication. We know that they've got there safely and they're having a great time. Uh, We will hear a lot more tonight. So you can be praying for them today. And as they they get ready to travel home this evening, uh, we can be praying for that as well. All right, 1 Kings 18. Uh, so this is a rare occurrence for me, but this sermon actually came to me in a flash. And usually, uh, as I'm praying about the sermon, I'm reading the Bible, I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of what the Lord is saying, and it comes slowly and, and, and in pieces, and, uh, and through the study, the Lord highlights certain things, and through, you know, as I look to other teachers and commentaries, things emerge, and, and so that's usually how it comes. Uh, for this one, I was lying in bed over Christmas holidays, and I was reading a book, I was on my Kindle, And it wasn't even a Jesus book, because I learned years ago that I can't read the Bible or Christian books at bedtime, because what happens is I start preaching, and I start to get ideas, and then I start to get excited, and then it's when you're trying to kind of slow down and get ready for bed. It just wasn't the best thing. So I read a little fiction in bed usually before I go to sleep, and as I was reading this fiction book, we were on the the Christmas break, we were on holidays, and I was just lying there, just, again, not even really thinking about the things of God, and this message just came in a flash, the the sermon title, the, uh, the passage of scripture, and just a few points along the way that we're going to unpack this morning. And so I said, Lord, hey, if every sermon came that way, that would be awesome. I would be open to that for sure. So my sermon prep this week was super easy. It was actually not challenging at all uh, because it had all been kind of prepared already by the Lord. And so, uh, so I'm excited to jump into this one with you. And so as we are getting going, we'll get to our text in just a second. Uh, here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we want to come alongside you and help you take whatever the natural next step is to go deeper with Jesus, to go further with Jesus. And so we focus on that in three areas, upward, inward, and outward. Upward in our relationship with him, our connection in our communion with God. Inward as God does his work in us and as he changes us and transforms us. And then outwardly as we engage with the world around us, as we engage with other people, as we love other people, as we share the gospel with other people. We are wanting to be growing in each of these areas. So around this time last year, um, my son had a minor surgery. Uh, and so we had to go up to Windsor and it was a very minor thing, not a big deal, um, but it needed to get done. And so it was, uh, he had to go under for it. And so I was up there with him. And um, when he came out, we have a video of this, which I'm not going to show you, um, but we have a video of him coming out of the anesthetic. Um, because it's hilarious when human beings are coming out of anesthetic. And so I've seen videos where parents post these things on the internet, and we would never do that. We would never embarrass them. But it's just funny watching anyone come out of that fog, right? Because they're, you're, you know, I've been through surgery before, and I, you know, you can hear voices, but you can't kind of respond yet. It's just a very weird feeling. Um, and you are sort of feeling in control, and you don't realize that you're saying hilarious things that don't make any sense. And so my son was just in this kind of fog place. It wasn't his fault, but he was just kind of in this fog. And over the next hour or so, he came out of it and came back to normal. And I, I just was thinking, 
thinking of that as I was preparing this week. And, um, and part of that was earlier this week, there was a fog day, right? The, the buses didn't run because it was foggy one morning. And so you're scared about them going off in the ditch, right, out on the county roads. You don't want the buses to do that. And we often use that word fog uh, when we're confused about something or when we're struggling with something. People will say, I just feel kind of foggy. Certainly over the, the pandemic, a lot of people use that kind of language of it just kind of, I feel foggy these days. Like, I don't know how to describe it. I just, I feel like I'm not myself. Um, I feel confused. I feel just kind of, I'm just not sure. It just, everything just doesn't seem that clear. Um, and so there's this, this fog you know, metaphor that we use to describe a time where it's not like necessarily even things are falling apart or are particularly horrible, but there's just a fog that can come and we can kind of feel lazy or we can feel disoriented or we can feel confused or we can feel not like ourselves. And that, again, that happens in life, right? There's just, you know, none, it's not your fault if you're coming out of an anesthetic and you feel a little weird. It's not your fault if you go through a pandemic and you don't quite feel like yourself. Things happen to us in our life. We get hurt. Uh, we get challenged by certain things where we just feel like I just kind of need to step back or, or check out a little bit. Like those are all very normal, natural occurrences. It makes perfect sense. And then at the same time, there is also a point where you say, I got to shake this fog off. I got to get out of this. I need to begin to move past this. And so that is where we are going today. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 18, just a little bit of backstory. In Israel at this time, Ahab is on the throne. And scripture says of Ahab, he was the worst king who ever lived. There was never anyone as evil as Ahab who sat on the throne of Israel. Ahab is married to Jezebel. Jezebel is an evil woman. She doesn't follow the Lord at all. She worships Baal and other gods that the Canaanites worshiped. And so as she marries Ahab and as they take over Israel and are leading Israel, Israel begins to follow them in their backsliding. Israel begins to follow them uh, in their, their idol worship and in the sin that goes with that. And these uh, gods that were worshipped by the Canaanites um, often included things like uh, animal sacrifice, certainly, but also human sacrifice at times. And so the worship was, uh, was very bloody with human blood that was, that was being offered up to worship these gods. And, uh, and so Israel is following after these gods, and, and not entirely like they, they know the Lord, but there's just this kind of fog on Israel. There's this kind of foggy season where they know the Lord, but they're not really really all in and they're they know what they should be doing but they're kind of trying to hedge their bets and like well you know if if the lord is god we want to follow him but if baal is god we don't want to make him unhappy so they're kind of in this in-between stage and all of israel is in this very very dark place and so god throughout israel's history will raise up prophets who are there and their job is to come and and speak for the lord to israel ultimately to call them to repentance to call them back to following after him and so in this time god God raises up Elijah, and Elijah would be one who would speak to the king and speak to the nation and call Israel back to the Lord. But because Israel has been going down this road and idol worshiping and God is trying to get their attention, scripture says that if we persist in our sin, eventually discipline does come. Eventually there are consequences to our actions. And so in Israel, a drought has been on the land now for three years. For three years, there has not been a drop of rain. And so that's the backstory as we get ready to go into this. There is a lukewarm, uh, conflicted, foggy nation. There is a, an evil king and queen on the throne. There is a nation that has turned away from the Lord, uh, and there is a drought in the land for three years. So let's take a look then at our text this morning. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 16. 
So Obadiah went to meet Ahab the king and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, you shall, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jugs with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. 
The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So, showdown on Mount Carmel. Dramatic story from God's word. And a call for all of us in terms of our commitment, a challenge there of how are we living out our faith, our walking with the Lord. Last week, we took some time uh, to look at the story of Bartimaeus, right? Calling out to Jesus, looking for healing. Bartimaeus, who is blind, has no hope whatsoever other than maybe the Lord will heal me. And Bartimaeus won't back down. He won't uh, be, be dissuaded in any way. He approaches Jesus and gets his healing. And within that sermon, we talked about the parable of the uh, midnight visitor, right? We talked about in Luke 11, 5 through 8. As Jesus is teaching on prayer, he teaches his disciples, this is the Lord's prayer, and then he wraps it up with this parable of a person who in the middle of the night goes over to his friend's house and knocks on the door because he's hungry and he has a guest over and he needs some food. And so the common reaction is, well, I'm not going to get up in the middle of the night just to give you some food. Like, come back tomorrow. We'll get you some food tomorrow. But it says that the friend was knocking on the door and knocking on the door and knocking on the door and knocking on the door. And finally, you just say, all right, I'll give you what you want. And the phrase in there was, because of your friend's shameless audacity, your request will be met. And that's Jesus teaching on prayer. So our posture in prayer is to be shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. To come boldly with bold requests. Elijah has set up a scene here where if God doesn't answer by fire, he's a dead man, right? Like there's no way the story ends otherwise. And so he is, talk about shameless audacity, right? He is putting not just his reputation, but his very life on the line. So great is his faith that God is going to respond the way he is calling out to God to respond. And so we are seeking to pray in this way, not just good, safe prayers, but to pray with boldness and to pray with faith. And so this is a long passage. We're not going to touch on every single part of it, but I do want to hit on a few things uh, just and see what the Lord is saying to us through it. So back to verse 18 and 19. Uh, Elijah's talking to Ahab. He says, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. This is why the drought is happening. This is why all of this is going on. You've abandoned the Lord's commands. You've turned away from him. You are following the Baals. So call the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So the, the religion of Baal and Asherah has become the religion of Israel. It is what the queen certainly is promoting, and, and most of Israel is following down there. They have not completely forgotten the Lord, and yet they are being drawn down this other path. And so Baal is a name that you'll see in the Old Testament a fair bit. Uh, in the Canaanite language, it literally means lord or master, and so it was kind of their chief god. Asherah was a female god that they worshipped as well. Baal, interestingly, was the god of the West. He was the one you prayed to when you wanted rain and when you needed, you know, your crops to produce well. Baal was the god of the weather. And so as Israel is following after Baal, the weather is not going well for them. And God's going to show them in this story that he is actually the god of the weather. He is the one who makes that happen. Asherah was a female god. You prayed to her for fertility when you wanted to get pregnant. She was the one you sought uh, when you wanted your your, um, livestock to get pregnant. She was the one you sought. And so you would offer up offerings. You would offer up animals. uh, times you would offer up even human beings, even children, uh, would get uh, sacrificed as part of the worship to these gods. And so there's a lot of darkness around these gods and the practices around that. And this is the path that Israel is on. Um, I love the verse in this passage that says that God is calling Israel's hearts back to himself. 
That is what is ultimately happening in this story. He's showing himself as God, and he is calling them back to him to follow after him. Moving on, verse 20, 21. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Uh, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And there's something about that phrase that just hit me. The people said nothing, right? Like they're, they're so disengaged. They're so uncertain. They're so unsure that they don't have any response. They know the Lord. They know the stories. We sang the stories this morning, right? The God of Jacob, the God who parts the sea, the God who makes a way. They know all of that. They know they're in the promised land because God brought them out of Egypt and brought them safe through the wilderness and established them in the promised land. So they know who he is. But when they're confronted, by Elijah, their response is silence. They don't have a good answer, right? They, they know something's off, but they don't have a good answer there. And so Elijah gives them this challenge, how long will you waver? If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now, of course, Elijah doesn't want them to follow Baal. Uh, he wants them to make a decision, and he wants them ultimately to make the right decision. So while you're wavering, like he's saying, guys, you know better. Right? You know who the Lord is. You know who God is. And so there's certainly an application here for us as well. If Jesus is Lord, follow him. Right? If Jesus really is Lord, then he needs to be followed as Lord. And if you're not sure if Jesus is Lord, then this is a place, and we always try to make this a place where you can ask questions, where you can wrestle, uh, where you can try and figure these things out. We believe Jesus is Lord, and that is what we will boldly proclaim. If you're not sure about that yet, uh, we have all the patience and understanding and compassion in the world, but I will say to you, you need to figure out the answer to that question. You need to figure it out. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that has life-changing implications. Because Jesus says, I am the way to heaven. I am God in the flesh. I am the one to follow. And so we need to figure out the answer to that question. Jesus can't be kind of a background figure in life. If Jesus is Lord, follow him. Now, for those of us who do believe Jesus is Lord, and we would say, yes, absolutely, I've put my trust in him. I am following after him. I'm trusting him for my salvation. The question then becomes, but are you following him? as Lord? Like, is he actually the Lord of your decisions? Is he actually the Lord of your actions? Is he actually the Lord? Are you actually gearing your life to following in his ways? Are you gearing your life to talking like he talks and acting like he acts and loving how he loves and pursuing holiness as he calls us to pursue holiness? Is he actually Lord? So our struggle might not be uh, in, in that question, how long will you waver? Our, our struggle might not be, well, do I, I follow God or not? Because, I mean, most of us here certainly would be saying, yes, I do follow the Lord. I do follow Jesus. But is there any other area of life where you are kind of in that lukewarm, half-in, half-out sort of attitude? Is there anywhere else in your spiritual walk where you know what you should be doing, but you are not doing it? Is there anywhere where you're stuck in that kind of foggy, you know, I, I have good intentions, but I'm not actually taking a step. We talked a lot about faith last week. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
And we talked last week about how faith often requires a step of faith. It often requires an action of faith. Elijah in this story had to do some preparation. He had to get the bull. He had to set everything up. And then he had to cry out, right? He had to to issue this challenge. And so there were steps of faith that he took uh, in order to show his trust in the Lord. And so for us, the question last week was, if Jesus were to stand before you and ask you the same question as he asked Bartimaeus, if Jesus were to stand before you and say, what would you like? me to do for you in 2023, what would your answer be? That was last week's question. This week's question is, if Jesus were to stand before you today and ask you the question, how long will you waver, what would that apply to in your own life? And I'm guessing for most of us with a little bit of thought, we know what that means for ourselves. We know what that's talking about. And so it might not be, hey, follow Jesus or don't. It might be you're following Jesus, but it might be, hey, how long are you going to stay in this lukewarm, fuzzy place as it relates to your commitment? Or how long are you going to let your sin hang there and not deal with it? And what step needs to be taken then to move forward? If Jesus is Lord, follow after him. If his word is true, then follow after him. If holiness is important, then it's time to deal with your sin. If your kids walking with Jesus is important, then it's time to step up and do your part on your end to point them to Jesus. If church is important, then it's time to get connected, right? There's lots of implications to this. But if Jesus were to ask you that, how long will you waver? How long are you going to be in two camps at the same time? How long are you going to have one foot here and one foot here? How long are you going to let your sin continue, whatever the application is for your own life? And and how long do you want to stay in that place? I've shared this story before of a professor of mine who did a lot of work in counseling and and helping people deal with their hurt and their trauma and their their different struggles. He did marital work. He did did family counseling and different things. And and one of the students asked, you know, what do you do when you feel like someone needs counseling, but they, they don't want to like, and that that's a hesitation for a lot of people. Like, what will you do? What do you do to help people kind of take that step? Um, just to acknowledge, Hey, I do need some help and I, I need to, to ask somebody to come alongside and help me. And his response was usually when he's talking to someone, they'll say, Oh, my marriage. And they'll go off on their marriage or they'll, they'll open up about their depression or they'll open up about their anxiety or they'll open up about their concerns about their children or they'll open up about their fears or whatever the case may be. And they'll share, you know, this is where I'm at. And these are all the negative things that are going on with it. And this is, this is where the struggle is. And then he would just ask them one simple question. And he says, it didn't always get a reaction, but he would just ask them one simple question, which was, aren't you tired of feeling that way like how long do you want to stay in your sin how long do you want to stay in your depression how long do you want to stay in that anxiety how long do you want to watch your marriage just struggle and stumble along like there's there's a time to wrestle through stuff and then there's a time to make a decision there's a time to take a step and there's a time to shake off the fog and get up off the mat and say, you know what? I am going to take a step towards holiness. I'm going to take a step towards healing. I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. I'm going to dust off my Bible and get back into the word. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to get connected to some other believers. I'm going to take a step forward because I want to shake off the fog and shake off this lukewarm thing. I don't want to be half in and half out. If Jesus is Lord, he's worth following. 
If Jesus is Lord, it's worth some action. If Jesus is Lord, it's worth taking some steps. And we would say, as we follow after Jesus as Lord, there is healing there, and there is hope there, and there is freedom there. And what's the faith step I need to take in that direction so that I can experience everything that he is and everything that he calls me to and everything that he wants us to do? So what would that look like in terms of moving forward uh, from here? As Elijah calls them together, verse 24, he says to the prophets of Baal, you call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. So the people were silent a moment ago, right? When he's challenging them, they don't have a lot to say. Uh, but then when he, he says, oh, well, we're gonna do this, this exercise here. And then they say, okay, well, that we can do. That, that is good because there's clarity that's gonna come through this. And so again, there is a time for debate. There is a time for searching. There's a time for there's a time for struggle, and we have grace for all of that. But then there is a time of decision where we say, okay, I'm either going to stay here or I'm going to move forward. I'm going to remain in this place or I'm going to take some steps to, to walk in the way that Jesus is calling me to walk in if I believe that Jesus is Lord. Verse 26, they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. So they are, uh, you know, they're taking their own faith steps, right? For their, they're trying to do something. Um, but what they're doing, and you see they start to escalate because what they're doing isn't working. And so because what they're doing isn't working, they're trying, you know, sort of more and more extreme things. So it starts with calling, and then it turns into dancing. And in a moment, it's going to turn into they're, they're cutting themselves and shedding their own blood. And so we want to be careful to make this clear. And we, we talked about this last week, that... Uh, that Bartimaeus, the blind man, did need to take a step of faith. He did need to, to call out to Jesus. He did need to get up and approach him. But that's the nature of the faith step. A faith step is something that draws us closer to Jesus. It's not something that makes him do something for us. He's not doing it because of our action. He's not doing it because of our efforts. Our efforts are our way of connecting with him so that he can respond. And so we want to make sure we're not making the same mistake as these prophets who are like, well, this didn't work, so I'm going to try this. And this didn't work, so we'll try this. And we're going to get more and more frantic in the way we're trying to force our God to respond to what we want him to do. We don't want to make that mistake. Our faith steps are drawing us closer to him. Ultimately, that's the only thing we're looking for. And then he is the one who does the work. He is the one who does the answering. Moving on, verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. I like that the taunting works, right? He's taunting them and they go, well, maybe that's true. Maybe he is sleepy. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. So this is becoming like a 12-hour ordeal, right? Like from the morning sacrifice till the evening sacrifice, they have been doing these things, and it's getting more and more frantic uh, as Baal is not responding um, and again, just kind of begs the question so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Uh, they get to the point where they're starting to shed their own blood even. And just a fair question, like, is, is our pursuit of God healthy? Like, is it, is it a healthy thing? 
Um, they, they believed that if we can show him through our devotion that our blood is being spilled and we're risking our lives for him, then maybe he will actually respond. And as I reflected on that story this week, I went, man, I love that in our story, Jesus shed his blood so we don't have to do stuff like this. Jesus shed his blood so we don't have to work that hard. We don't have to. I remember years ago being in a pastor's conference and the, the speaker was saying, you know, we who are pastors need to shed our blood on the altar of ministry. And I went, yikes wow that is a vivid picture and really unhealthy like really unhealthy language um these guys are shedding their blood because they're trying to get god to do what what they want their god they're trying to get their god to do what they want him to do they're trying to get the response that they are looking for even to the point of shedding their own blood and we would say no jesus shed his blood so we don't have to do this we're invited to come before the throne of grace We don't have to earn our way there. We don't have to do a bunch of rituals. We actually just get to come to him as a father to a child. We're invited there because of what Jesus has done. There's something else I just want to touch on here. I've heard people share this sermon, uh, this story, and go, well, Elijah is kind of a taunting jerk, so I get to be uh, towards other religions or towards people that I disagree with. And I will just add the caution there that just because the Bible records something doesn't necessarily mean the Bible's approving of it. Sometimes the Bible's just saying, this is history, this is something that happened. And so how do we know the difference? Well, if we see the heroes of the faith acting in a way that other parts of scripture say not to act, then we go, the hero of the faith is at a step in this moment. And so the Bible talks to us about just being careful with our words. One example, Proverbs twenty four seventeen: do not gloat. When your enemy falls, when they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Uh, Jesus would unpack it further. We're to love our enemies, right? And so in this case, we don't need to love Baal, of course, and we don't need to love what they're doing, and we do need to call them out, but we're not going to taunt and mock and put them down. Um, And so Elijah, we're going to see if you keep reading the story. We won't see it today, but if you were to keep reading uh, in the chapters to come, Elijah's going to have a spectacular mood crash, and just as high as he was in mocking and taunting, he's going to be the one who's low and torn down in a little bit. Um, And I think that's him a little bit reaping what he sowed. And and so just because he's taunting and and just because we sometimes see heroes of the faith, um, you know, I was reading in my devotionals, Abraham this week, and and Sarah's not getting pregnant. So Sarah says, well, sleep with Gomer, my slave, just because, or Hagar, sorry, not Gomer. Um, Just because it's in there, that doesn't mean, oh, I get to do that, right? And so just because it's there doesn't mean it's an example for us to follow necessarily. So I would say it is not our job to taunt or mock. Um, That is not something that God calls us to do. Scripture actually tells us the opposite in that case. So as we are almost done here, verse 33 and 34, Elijah, so their sacrifice doesn't work out. Elijah arranges the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, lays it on the wood, and he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And so that's not, that wasn't part of the deal, right? That wasn't part of the, the, you know, the rules of this contest. That was not something that the prophets of Baal had done. But when it's Elijah's turn, he adds this extra step. And so he pours water on it, not once, not twice, three. The whole thing is soaking wet. And I imagine part of that is so that nobody can say later, oh, the wood was just dry and a spark caught. And it kind of like what he's doing is making it an impossible thing to happen. 
It's impossible, right? Wet wood doesn't light on fire. It just doesn't. And so he is making it impossible. Talk about a faith step. Reminder again, his life is on the line if this doesn't go well. If this doesn't get answered by God. And so he is making it impossible so that no one will ever doubt that God is the one who was at work here. And we can, again, as we talked last week about blind Bartimaeus, that there are faith steps for us to take. And it's not to make God do what we want, but there are steps that we take as we approach him so that he can answer our prayers. And so I was talking this week at a, we had a meeting at our denomination and they'd asked me to bring the devotional uh, as the meeting started. So I just I brought last week's sermon. I just kind of shortened it. And, and why do extra work, right? The work was already done. So I took the sermon and just boiled it down to kind of a 10-minute thing. And I brought it to the team. And so as we were uh, reading it and talking about it, one of the things that came up, uh, multiple people said this, which was, you know, there were times in my life when I prayed big, bold, impossible prayers and then, you know, things maybe didn't go the way I wanted or, or time passed and God didn't respond yet. And then my prayers kind of get safer and safer and safer to the point where I sometimes find myself praying prayers that actually I could probably just accomplish on my own. I don't even need God to do them. Or it's, it's something that he's probably very obviously going to do. But there's no faith required there, right? And it, it, again, I think it's a common problem. But I think in these stories, last week's and this week's, we're seeing, man, that, that shameless audacity place, right? Like, where are you praying prayers and where are you taking steps that if God doesn't show up, you got nothing? Like, can we trust him enough with that? And part of that is as we get to know him better, as we get to know his word better, we also are praying prayers in line with who he is and what he wants from us. We're getting to understand his will better, and we're praying into that. So it's not just about praying recklessly whatever I want, but getting to know him better and praying into his will. But as we see these stories, again, that phrase, shameless audacity, um, are we praying with truly bold faith, not just safe prayers, but prayers where we need God to move. We need him to show up. We need him to answer. We desperately need that to happen. So the water, as it gets poured out over everything, there's another piece to this, which is, if you recall, there's been a drought in the land for three years. For three years, there has been no rain. And in this time of no rain, Elijah says, get four jugs of water and do it three times. So 12 jugs of water are going to get poured over all this thing. And I was reading it this week, and I just thought, what does that look like to the crowd in that moment? Right? What does it look like? Like, we're all living through something right now with COVID and inflation and things. Like, Sarah and I are, are looking to replace a car. And we're going, oh, this car that, you know, three years ago would have been $15,000 is now $30,000, right? And then interest rates are way up. And that's because there's no supply. And so when there's no supply, prices go up. We saw that with, like, lettuce and things, right? My mom called me one day. She's like, I just saw a head of lettuce for $8. Iceberg lettuce. One head for $8. And it's like, you know, iceberg lettuce, that's, there's not a lot of nutrition in there, right? We like the crunch, and so we have iceberg lettuce. Eight bucks a head's a lot to pay for a crunch, right? If it's not going <laughs> to nourish my body like other lettuce would. And so when there's a low supply, the prices go up, right? The value of the thing skyrockets. So in a drought, water becomes unbelievably valuable, unbelievably valuable. 
And in this time of drought, he says, we're going to take and not just do it one time to make the point, right? The wood's probably plenty wet after the first time and certainly wet after the second time. We're three times just going to drench this all until it's just completely saturated. And water, which at the moment is the most precious resource possible, we are just going to dump it out over. So there's sacrifice involved in this faith step. Faith steps always require some sacrifice. It always requires us to give up something in order to take a step to pursue what the Lord wants us to do. There is always sacrifice involved. So at the time of sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, right? He's doing what we just sang in that song. He's reminding the people of the God of generations, how he has shown up in the past. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. This is the heart of the Father. Come back to me. Come back to me. That's what he is wanting. That's what repentance is. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And so all of that sacrifice that had just happened, it's all just gone. And the wood, which would have been impossible to burn, is burned up. And the water that was overflowing into the trench is also all sucked up in this moment. And so the faith required in all of it. Uh, Much discussion about what's going on here. Most scholars would say it was probably lightning. Like, that was probably what was going on. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, the debate over whether it was a special miracle or whether it was lightning like you would normally see or anything like that. Uh, but either way, again, it's a, an unlikely impossible situation to happen unless God does show up. So unless God shows up, there is no hope for Elijah. Again, his life is on the line. Um, and so there's an impossible situation going on here. Can you jump ahead a couple slides, Andrew, to, uh, without faith or sorry, with uh, man, this is impossible. Um, so as, as you reflect on that story, and, and it's easy, um, sometimes the logical part of our brain begins to, you know, start to dissect or unpack, well, this is impossible, and how this could happen, and, and our brains kind of can naturally go down that route. But at the same time, uh, as we follow after Jesus, and as we are, are in that, that place where we are trusting after him, like, you have to believe in miracles. You have to to be a follower of Jesus. You have to. There is no possible way to be a follower of Jesus if you don't believe in miracles because the premise of the entire Christian faith is that Jesus came down to earth from heaven, which is a miracle. And he lived among us and he went to the cross and he rose from the dead, which is a miracle. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, we are invited into salvation in God. So you have to believe in miracles if you follow after Jesus. There has to be room there. And we all, I think, I think as I talk to people, if we were to go around the room, we might not have like fire from heaven miraculous stories, but we all have ways in which God has shown up in different ways, unexpected ways, ways that we couldn't make something happen on our own. And so without, uh, without you know, getting too distracted by the, that side of it, we have to trust that God works in these ways. And so in verse... Verse 39, all the people saw this. They fall prostrate. They cry, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They've made their decision. They have come to that place of decision and they have responded. And in that, they are doing what the Bible word is, is repentance. They are turning. 
Uh, and that's really what that word means. Repentance, we sometimes talk about it like, oh, it means you're saying sorry to God or it means you're trying to make things right. And it includes all of those things. But the word repentance literally just means change your direction. Change your direction. Turn from the path that you're on. Um, and when God says don't do certain things, when God says this is sin or that is sin, when he calls us to repent, it's the picture of a car that's about to go off a cliff, right? It's you're on a bad road. You're on a road that's heading in a dangerous direction. So you turn that car, right? Turn it around. Head in a different direction. Stop going down the road you are going on. Israel was heading down a bad road. God orchestrates this miraculous contest in order to bring their hearts back to him, to remind them of who he is, and to call them back to following after him, repentance in him. And for a nation that was kind of in that lukewarm, sort of half in, half out, sort of committed, but not really. I'm letting my sin here, even though I know it shouldn't be there. I'm not following after the Lord the way that I should. I'm not taking this seriously enough, God shows up and says, how long are you going to waver here, guys? And then he shows them this story and says, come back, turn off the path that you're on and start following me again and walking with me again. In the interest of time, I think I'm just going to jump ahead a bit. Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Three years without a drop of water. Go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Celebrate, because I hear rain coming. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. Then he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So all of this has happened. This whole story, the drought and everything has all happened because of Israel's sin. And as Israel now turns back, as they change directions, as they do the U-turn, as they come back to the Lord, uh, there's no need for that consequence, that discipline anymore. And so God responds. His discipline is always intended to lead us to repentance. His discipline is always intended to call us back to himself as any parent when they discipline. Uh, we're trying to, to shape the behavior here. We're trying to shape the character. It's not to punish. It is actually ultimately for your good. And so God calls Israel back to himself. And then just on the horizon, it happens slowly, but a cloud begins to form across the sea. And it's not an instant thing. Elijah says, I hear the sound of rain. I mean, he doesn't literally hear it. It's too soon for that. There's no cloud in the sky at that point. I hear the sound of rain, he says. There is something about this repentance and this turning back to God that releases God's provision then in that moment. As Israel comes back to God, God says, I will release the rain you've been praying for for three years. And so I hear the sound of rain. It's a faith statement at that point. It's just a faith statement. I hear it in the spirit. I hear it prophetically. It's not literally happening yet. And I just wonder if it was discouraging or whether Elijah was at peace to say to a servant, go and look out there. And a servant says, there's not a cloud in the sky. Okay, we'll go back again. Not a cloud in the sky. Try again. Still nothing. Over and over and over again. 
And Elijah bowed down to the ground, still praying, still crying out to the Lord. And go back, check again, go back, check again, go back, check again. I know I've heard the rain is coming. I know that. Go back and check again. And then finally, just as you know what, there's this tiny, tiny cloud on the horizon, the size of a man's hand, that ultimately is going to grow into this great big thing. Uh, Verse 45, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And so there's a time in between the the promise of God and the fulfillment. And Elijah in that moment is praying and checking and faithful. I hear the sound of a rain. There isn't anything actually happening yet, but I know this is coming. Uh, But it doesn't look like it's coming. Oh, no, it still doesn't look like it's coming. No, it still doesn't look like it's coming. No, it still doesn't look like it's coming. But then it comes because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And what he has promised us in his word, he will fulfill. And what he's promised us, if you're praying into things and holding on to promises of God, his promises, he will fulfill. And our job is like Elijah, even though it's not done yet. I mean, to think of like, he's just had this, I'll say a really long day, right? This incredibly long day, this deep ordeal. Uh, and then his life is on the line and then all of this, you know, build up. And then this miraculous provision of fire. But Elijah actually isn't done yet. He's not done praying yet. He's been doing his job for years, but there's still more prayer to happen. And as he does this, then the breakthrough comes. Then the miracle happens. God answers. Come on up, worship team, as we get ready to wrap up. So here at Meadowbrook, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. And and we always like to wrap up our sermons with that question then. Based on what you've heard today, what are your next steps? And I don't typically like to give that to you as, as my pronouncement. Uh, because I want you to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, what are my next steps? And I imagine some things have probably come to mind already during this message. But to that question, how long will you waver? How long are you going to stay in that fog? How long are you going to stay in that lukewarm place? Whatever part of your life that applies to. How long are you going to stay one foot in, one foot out? How long are you going to stay sort of committed, but not really? How long are you going to remain there? And as I said at the beginning, you know, the things that happen to us in life, you know, a lot of it's not our fault. Sometimes it is our fault. We, we do make bad choices. We're reaping consequences. But sometimes stuff is done to us. Sometimes it's just circumstance. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us at all. But we we get hurt or we get discouraged or we get disappointed and, and we find ourselves in that place where we, we take a step back, we check out maybe a little bit, we, we are in that fog, we're, we're kind of in that lukewarm spot, we, we get knocked down in the boxing match, we're down on the mat through no fault of our own. And even though it's no fault of our own, we are still responsible for what we do next. Right? You're not responsible for all the pain that's happened to you in your life. You are responsible for dealing with it now and remembering and seeking the healer who is in heaven, who has the way forward for you, who has a better path forward for you. And, and the trust that when Jesus calls us to follow after him and says, hey, it's time to get serious about your sin. It's time to get serious about your walk with me. It's time to get serious about my word. It's time to get serious about loving others. It's time to get serious about sharing the gospel and, and all the other possible implications of this is that his way is a better way. It is the right way. It is the good way. And so if Jesus were to stand here today just for you as an individual and to say, how long are you going to waver in this spot? How long are you going to let that hang there? How long do you want to feel that way, the way you're feeling? And then after that, and then on our end, what is a faith step that we take towards him? 
And, and for you, maybe it's as simple as, you know what, my Bible's gathering dust, and it's time to get off and get serious about getting into the Word. Maybe it's about, I've been doing this by myself for a long time. It's time to get into a life group. It's time to, to connect with other believers in a more meaningful way. Maybe it's like, you know what, church, I, I show up when I show up, and when I don't, I don't. Maybe it's time to step up and say, you know what, this is important to my spiritual walk, and so I'm going to take a step there. Maybe there's a sin just kind of hanging there in your life, and you know you're not supposed to be doing it, but at the same time, you're not doing anything about it. And maybe today's the day of decision where you say, you know what, it's time to deal with that thing. It's time to get someone in my life to approach one of the pastors or a believer that I trust. It's time to confess my sin and say, I need some help with this. And we're going to figure out a way forward together. Maybe it's time to step up with your kids. Maybe it's time to step up in your marriage. Maybe it's time to finally see a counselor. Maybe it's time to see a doctor. Maybe it's time to take a step like that. And, and we're going to leave that with you to say, you know, right? And you've been thinking through the message what this means. The Lord knows. And if you're like me, you have 87 ideas of what this can mean. But that's where we just say, Lord, what do you want from me now? What's, what's the step right now? You, you know all my stuff and much more than I know. So what does that look like for me right now? Would you stand to your feet, please? where we've been in a foggy place, where we've been knocked down on the mat, again, maybe not your fault, but it's time to shake off the fog. It's time to get up off the mat. It's time to take that step. It's a decision point. And so uh, let's just pause for a minute. Close your eyes with me. Bow your heads. And we just ask you to do this just so it's a private moment and, and no one feels like they're being looked at. So just respect the moment, please, even if you're, you're not uh, sure about it. Just we'll ask you to close your eyes and and bow your heads with us today. Lord, your challenge to us today was how long will you waver? And Lord, there's lots of application to that in many different directions. And, and again, my sense for myself is there's many, many ways I can apply that. But today, Lord, for all of us, we're just asking for one right now. So we're just going to pause before you quietly for a moment to say, Lord, bring to mind whatever that is. What is that lukewarm, foggy thing that we're stuck in that you are wanting us to pay some attention to this year? And Lord, just bring that to our minds, Holy Spirit, and just silence every other voice. Silence every other distraction in Jesus' name. But Lord, bring that to our mind now. What is the thing that you want us to pay attention to this year? And Lord, as you lay that on our hearts this morning, we'll ask another question here. What is a first step for us to take? We don't need to solve the whole thing today, but there is a step you are calling us to take. And so Lord, right now, again, just bring that to mind, lay that on our heart. What is a step that we can take even this week towards following after you in a deeper way in obedience in this particular area? Bring it to mind now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that as we respond in worship now and as we get ready to dismiss in a few minutes, Lord, that we will not check out, but we will just continue to seek you very intently for these next few minutes. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will continue to speak long after I stop talking, Lord, that you will continue to reveal and unpack and lead us in the way that is ultimately for our good, Lord, even though it requires faith and even though it requires obedience, even though it requires sacrifice, Lord, that you will lead us in the good way because you are 
are good and you love us more than we can possibly imagine. And you are calling us back to you in the fullness, Lord. And so bless us with your peace and your presence, even in a challenging word, Lord. Uh, We thank you that your peace is with us even then. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship with us for a few minutes before we dismiss.